All right, hey everyone, good morning. Welcome to The Exchange. I am so glad you guys are with us this morning. Just want to say welcome. Uh, if you're new, my name is Josiah. I would just love to meet you after and say what's up in case this is your first time. Uh, do me a favor, turn to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, we've been making our way through the book of Philippians for a while now. Uh, but Philippians 4, if you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'd love to get you one so you can follow along with us. But Philippians 4. All right. Just want to say welcome again. So glad you guys are here. We are in Philippians chapter 4. We started this book in January, and here we are in May. It is great. It's been like a four or five months in this book of Philippians. We're going to slow down uh, as we go through chapter 4. Uh, we're just in verse 1 through 5 today. Uh, before I kind of bring it to speed and what's going on, I want to let you know that today for us is something called Serve Sunday. So Serve Sunday is something we do like every other month. Um, this Basically, what it means is we're trying to highlight a ministry or a ministry partner, and we just want to kind of say, hey, how can our church get behind this ministry, whether here at our church or outside of our church? Uh, so today, we're just going to be uh, talking about Firewall a little bit at the end. Firewall is a ministry that tutors uh, kids just really in need. Uh, they have provide Christian tutors. Uh, so if you would like to be a tutor at Firewall or volunteer at Firewall, there's a table in the back. You can get some more information, but again, we'll mention that at the end. Uh, but we are so thankful for Firewall. There's a few people who serve weekly on our team, several people actually that serve weekly on our team that also work and tutor at Firewall. So such a great ministry. There's more information in the back. Uh, but again, just welcome. We're so glad you're here. I am so excited just for this text for what we're going through. Uh, we're in Philippians chapter 4, and so let me just kind of catch up to speed because it's been a minute. So just kind of walk through a text like this. So uh, here in the book of Philippians, Paul is writing from jail while chained to a soldier 24-7, and he's writing a book primarily about joy. And he's saying to us over and over again, joy is not the absence of trouble, but joy is the presence of something greater, and that's Jesus. And so Paul's saying, even though I'm in prison, even though I'm chained to a soldier, I have this joy. I have this deep joy. Now, Paul's main theme that we're trying to like encompass for our church and really bring for our, our church family is this idea that we are a colony of heaven. So here's the idea. The book of Philippians was written to the city of Philippi, the church of Philippi, and they were actually a colony of Rome. The goal of a colony was to bring Roman culture, Roman law, uh, just all of everything Rome bring it to your city. And Paul is saying, no, you're not a Roman citizen, first and foremost. You are a citizen of heaven. Bring heaven culture. Bring the kingdom down. Let it be a kingdom of, of love, a kingdom that is here serving the true King Jesus. And so here's our hope. Our hope as a church is to, in a sense, be like a little taste of heaven on earth. We want this to be a place where people come in and go, wow, there's, there is love here. There's grace here. There's something different here. Is it filled with sinners? Absolutely. Is it broken in a mess? Absolutely. But there's something different here. And we want people to see that this is a kingdom, a little mini, in a sense, kingdom of heaven. So we're trying to be, be a, a colony of heaven to earth. And this is what Paul is writing them, saying, live in this way. Now, if you're with us, a couple of weeks ago, we closed out chapter three and he said this. He said there's two groups of people. The first group of people, he says their God is their belly. Basically says they serve their flesh. They, they serve their fleshly appetites. The second group of people, he says their citizenship is in heaven. And he goes, you're either in one of those two groups. And he closes out chapter three, and that brings us here to chapter four, where Paul is going to bring up an issue between two of them in the church, an argument some, of some sort, a disagreement of some sort, and it's causing really just stress. It's causing division within the church. And so simply today, here's kind of the hope of what I want to, I guess, see hap happen today. The title is simply Disagreements and the Gospel, Disagreements in the Gospel. And in many ways, this is a sermon on conflict resolution, but it's, it's not just that. I believe it's more than that. 
This will not be exhaustive on conflict resolution. By no means can we cover every scenario and every issue that kind of can come up from whether it's abuse or rape or, or some sort of pain caused in the past. This will not deal with all of that in depth. But here's the hope of this. My hope is that we can be a church because there's going to be issues. There's going to be problems. There's going to be pain. There's going to be division. But my hope is that we can seek reconciliation that we can work on how we resolve conflicts, that would be a church that is quick to repent and quick to forgive, that is quick to live out the gospel. Uh, I think when, it, when I say conflict resolution, that's not just a church problem, that's a human problem. And so my hope is how can we be a church that does this well? Um, how can we be a family that does this well? How can you be as individuals with your family, with your friends, with your coworkers? How can we seek to bring the gospel in the midst of disagreements? How can we seek to be like Christ in the midst of division? And so I do want to just read kind of the text, just five verses, then we'll pray and walk through this more in depth. Can we do that? Philippians chapter 4, let's look at verse 1. Philippians 4, verse 1. Paul writes, Therefore, in light of being citizens of heaven, in light of having a new body, in light of Jesus ruling and reigning, therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore, I beg Iodia, and I implore, I beg Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companion, who he's writing to, help these women who labored with me in the gospel with, with Clement also, and the rest of the fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. That was last week's text. <laughs> Let your gentleness or reasonableness be known to all men the Lord is at hand. Let's pray, and we'll talk about conflicts in the church. So fun, right? I know you can't wait. Let's pray. Let's look at this. Father, we just thank you. We thank you that we can seek you, that we can come to you. We thank you, God, that you remind us not just of the methods in which to deal with conflicts, but ultimately the principle behind it. God, that you remind us ultimately of the gospel. God, we just do ask that you would speak, that you'd be in this place, that, Lord, you just remove any distractions. Our mind might wander, or, uh, Lord, you might just be speaking to us personally, individually. God, I just ask that you would bring healing. God, I ask that there would be a sense of des a desire to see health in the body, to not run, to not leave when there's conflict, um, but, God, to embrace with the gospel mindset. And we ask this, Jesus, in your wonderful name. Amen. Uh, on Thursday, as many of you know, was the National Day of Prayer. Um, maybe you went to some sort of prayer gathering. The city of Deerfield Beach, actually in their town hall or city hall, actually had a prayer gathering. And it was really neat. They, they invited like seven or eight pastors from Deerfield to kind of pray over a different topic. And so um, I had the privilege to pray for our nation. So like every five minutes, a new pastor would get up and just kind of pray for a few minutes. Um, I was like the second or third to go up. And about halfway down the list, they had a rabbi there. And uh, he got up to just kind of share a little bit as well. And um, it's really, first of all, by the way, the fact that our city does that is incredible. The fact that our city said, hey, we're going to have a prayer meeting and invite some pastors out. That Not every city does that. And that was such an honor to be a part of that. And it's so cool to meet some city officials and just pray over everything. And it was, it was great. Um, and halfway through, the rabbi gets up. And this is kind of where the tone changed a little bit. My heart kind of broke a little bit. But he gets up, he tells a joke. It was great. It was very funny. And then he kind of changes tones and says, um, and this is, this is where kind of got really heavy and really serious. He goes, I cannot believe the government is putting on a prayer gathering to just kind of incite and encourage hate speech. How dare you Christians believe that you are the only true faith, the only true religion, that everyone else is going to hell? How dare you view us in this light? 
one pastor said, and he quoted the pastor, he goes, you said there's no one good. Well, my father's rabbi and he's good. How dare you say my father's not good? And the, cha- the room, the tone of the room just completely changed. And I was just listening. I just really wanted to listen and hear what he was saying. After he was done, a man who was not on the agenda gets up as well. You know, that's always fun, right? Uh, and he gets up and walks to the front, and he kind of affirms what the rabbi said and shared some things with him. And then the one man who got up second walked out the room. The rabbi followed him. The next pastor got up, and this is where I do think I, I want to communicate grace in this, but when the next pastor got up, he shared some things that I wish was handled a little differently. Um, I wish there was a little more grace in the tone after that. Uh, but he got up and shared some things. The rabbi came back in. We prayed a couple more times. The event's over. We thanked the city officials. We're like, can we please do this again next year? <laughs> I know that you definitely want us back, right? Um, but after the event was over, I'm walking to my car, and I was, I was looking for the rabbi, and I was just, just trying to see if I could talk to him briefly, and he's walking towards my car. And so I say, hey, rabbi, can I just speak with you? He goes, yeah. And I go, and here's, here's why I, I want to explain something. I, here's, I felt the need to do this. I felt compelled to do this. Whether or not you agree with everything I shared, I just felt the need to do this. I said, hey, listen, I am so sorry if you've experienced any sort of hatred or rudeness from Christians in the past. You got to know this, that we love you. We love your people. My Savior's a Jew. <laughs> um, I'm a big fan. My heroes of the faith are all Jewish. Abraham, Moses, Paul. Peter, John, those are my heroes of the face. They're all, they're all Jews. Um, we wouldn't have the Bible if it wasn't for your people. We are in debt. We are so thankful for you, for your people. And that's how I try to, you know, bridge the gap. He even said from his speech, he goes, I'm praying for the day we stop building walls and build bridges. So that's what I was trying to do. But after I'm done saying that, he goes, so do you believe everything they said in there? And I go, uh, what are you referring to? He goes, do you believe my father's in hell? And I go, I don't know your father. And he, and he just right away started kind of attacking and asking questions and said, what about this verse in the Bible? And, and here's what I, I know it's happening. I'm trying to do my best to not answer each question and get stuck and miss the big picture. So I try to like briefly answer and then get back to like the tone of it, which is, hey, listen, I just want to come up to you to, to build that bridge. We love you. We love your people. And he asked some more questions and I just would say, hey, if you want to get coffee and talk through those questions, I would love to do that. And eventually kind of got to the point of, listen, because um, he asked me a question about Jesus. I said, listen, we do believe Jesus is the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but him. We know that the gospel is offensive. Jesus said the gospel will offend people. Um, he goes, so you say my father's in hell. You say my father's an evil person. And, I, and I, when someone asks you that question, that's a very you know, intimidating question. I just said, hey, listen, um, I, don't know if your father, I don't know your father, but here's what I do know. Remember the story in Zechariah 3? He goes, yeah. Do you remember when the high priest stood before God? And remember when the high priest stood before God, his righteousness, his robes became filthy. Why? Because before God, he was wicked. And I said, isn't the high priest supposed to be like the holiest of all? And here he is before God, extremely wicked. He goes, yeah. I go, so if the high priest is wicked, what does it say about me and you? And he goes, well, I don't believe that story. He goes, that's just stories and fairy tales. And I realized that moment. I'm like, oh, this is a progressive rabbi. <laughs> this is not an orthodox rabbi. I'm like, okay, all right. I'm like, okay, so this is just a fairy tale to him. So I try to find some common ground. It did not go like I thought it would. I was just trying to speak to him lovingly and just try to find some sort of common ground and resolve. And, and here's why I'm sharing this. Um, sometimes common ground is not enough. Um, sometimes you might try to find common ground and, and it's not going to be done in one conversation. And the way he, just, he walked away from me and I just said, you know, I would love to continue this conversation. I just want you to know we are thankful for your people and I hope you feel love from Christians and I'm sorry if you did not experience that today. Basically something like that. And he walked away and my heart just was like aching the next, you know, couple days because I, I feel like God has given me a big heart just for the, for the Jews, honestly. For me personally, I've had that. Paul said the gospel is to the Jew first and Paul said, I wish I could be a curse and, and set apart for the sake of the Jews to know Christ. So there's a big love for our Jewish neighbors, our Jewish friends, our Jewish, our Jewish um, just heritage. This is a big love. Now I'm sharing that with you because again, here we are in a text that deals with conflict and conflict resolution essentially. 
And it might not always go the way we think. It might not always go the way we, we hope it could. It might be more than one conversation. There might need to be a mediator or third party, which Paul brings up here. There's a lot of different aspects and layers to this. And here's why I think this is good for us. I think maybe in some ways, maybe it's, I don't want to say a generation, but I would say for the most part, many of us, um, we don't love conflicts. Uh, I think at all costs, once something, once there's like even a disagreement in the room, we're kind of like leaving the room. Um, we're just kind of like, we don't like it. Now, I think there's two responses to conflict that we naturally have, all of us have. One is simply this, and hopefully you'd agree. Uh, we avoid conflict or we amplify conflict. So I think everyone in this room, either you're in one of two categories, you avoid conflict at all costs. Like you run, you hide, there's an issue, you won't find me for a few months, right? Like uh, not even if it's an issue, it could be something minor, we just avoid it at all costs. Others, there's some people who I've met, maybe you've met them, who like amplify conflicts. Like, ooh, conflict, let me get involved, right? And they're like a little mini lawyer at heart. And they come up with 20 points why this person's wrong. And you meet with them like, let's settle this. Like, well, here's why you're wrong. And you're like, oh gosh, this is not going to work. And so in some ways that you can amplify conflict, and that can be very difficult as well. And, and here's why I, I do want to talk through this today. Um, because we are going to see first and foremost that there will always be conflict. There will be drama. There will be conflict. Um, it's not a matter of if it's going to happen, but when. There's going to be conflict at your workplace, in your marriage, with your best friend, at your church, at your wh- wherever. There's going to be some sort of conflict. And so how do we deal with this? So let's talk about this context specifically in Philippians 4. Who caused the drama? All right, what's happening? It's actually two women. He calls them out, Iodia and Syntyche, and they apparently are two women leaders in the church. Now I know that that would never, never happen today where there's two women in the church fighting. I know that only happened then. It would never happen today. Uh, but these are two women who actually serve side by side with Paul. And actually most commentators, most people do believe these were actually women leaders, most likely deacons in the church. They were serving in some capacity. They were known by name. They served with Paul. They labored with Paul. They worked with him. And so Paul, here's what he does. And this is what I find fascinating. What Paul does? He calls them out by name. Forever to be in the book of Philippians, for 2,000 years, people talked about Iodia and Syntyche. So today, I've made a list of some names of um, some people who, I'm kidding, never do that. Um, <laughs> well, I can't say never. No, but Paul called them out by name. Now, here's why I actually want to put this out. It actually would be in his culture and his time disrespectful if he didn't. If there was drama and an issue going on, and he's like saying, this is what we do today. He's like, I just sense in the spirit there's some drama happening. Like he, if he was passive aggressive about it, um, if he downplayed it, it actually would be even more insulting. It'd be like more shameful to them to say, we all know who you're talking about, but you're not just saying it. So Paul is actually honoring them in this way. Paul is actually doing something good in this way. I appreciate how he's going about it. And he calls me, and here's the thing that's interesting to me. What is the drama over? We don't know. There's nothing said about what the issue is. Now, let me just point this out a couple things. Paul is not shy to call someone out on heresy or bad teaching. Paul does that in many epistles. Paul is not uh, shy to call someone out on immorality. Hey, you, stop sleeping with your mother-in-law. Uh, Don't do that. Or, hey, you, stop sleeping with your stepmom. Paul is not afraid to call people out on their sin, even in epistles. Paul doesn't do that. We don't think this is like a heretical, doctrinal issue. We don't think this is a moral issue. It's probably just like a preference issue. It's probably just some sort of jealousy, rivalry, I like it this way. She likes it this way. I like having the cowbell on band or on stage. She doesn't. Like, I don't know. Whatever is like over, there's some sort of disagreement happening. And so Paul finds it necessary to talk to them and really call them out. And here's why I think this is so important. Um, here we are 2,000 years later, and, and no one knows what the issue is. Like, think about most drama in your life. Think about family, friend, parent, sibling, church. It's very hard to like pinpoint and go, oh, that issue, that relationship, what did we fight over? If you're married, you're like, we, f- we got in a big fight. What was it over? I have no idea. 
It, like, sometimes you're like, I think it's because I, like, I, I don't know, put the cup over there. I don't know. Like we really, sometimes we forget what the issue is. Because at the end of the day, Paul's saying, I'm not here to side with you. I'm here to say resolve this. I'm here to say don't lose sight of the bigger picture. Don't lose sight of the green in the Lord. And Paul is pointing them to a bigger picture in this, and this is what I want to do. This is what we want to talk about. Um, like I said, this will not be an exhaustive Bible study. And here's five ways we will try to give you some helpful hints on how to resolve some conflict. I think they're biblical and good. But we do want to just see the big picture in this. So uh, if you are taking notes, here's how we're going to break this up today. Uh, the gospel and gospel relationships and disagreements need to, Paul says this, he goes, stand firm, have the same mind, and he says, settle the issue, basically. Stand firm, have the same mind, settle the issue. So let's just like kind of walk through this text of what Paul is talking to us about. Hey, in the church, it is so imperative that there be unity, that you don't get sidetracked by these disagreements because it's going to keep you from the bigger picture. It's going to keep you from doing what you're called to do. And sometimes I think the enemy loves it when we're at odds with each other. I don't think sometimes. I think all the time he loves it when we're at odds because we lose sight of what we're here to do, and that is to make disciples in Jesus' name. So let's talk about this because this is so important for us as a church, for us as individuals, for us as family members, all of the, all of the above. It's so important. So let's look at the first one, stand fast. Why is that important? Uh, look at Philippians chapter 4, verse 1, one more time. He says, therefore, my beloved and long for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. First and foremost, do you notice what Paul does? Paul's like a little sweet talker. I love this about him. He's like, my beloved, my joy, my crown, my beloved again. Like Paul is leading with this tone of love. And let me just say this, it is, it is important to lead with a tone of love. It's important when you're dealing with conflict to lead with a tone of love. And I think I need to hear this. You need to hear this. We all need to hear this. How is Paul talking in verse one? You're my beloved. You're my family. You're my crown. Remember Philippians, the whole book? Paul speaks so highly of two churches, Philippians and the Thessalonians. These are like his churches. Like I think they're like low key. You can't have favorites, but he has favorites. It's Philippians. It's the Thessalonians. He's like, I love you. I'm laying this, this tone of love and what I'm communicating. And again, when it comes to conflict, please let me just repeat this one more time in a different way. Don't let conflict uh, surprise you and don't let conflict control you. As we talk about standing firm, please hear this. Conflict should never surprise us. Uh, conflict should never control us. So here's what I mean by that. should never surprise us. Um, no one should ever go, oh my gosh, I never saw that coming. Like we're humans. We're going to fall. We're going to mess up. We're going to blow it. Sometimes when I talk to Christians, like young Christians who are like, man, I just want to be like the book of Acts, like that kind of church. Like I agree. Like I love the book of Acts. Let's, let's do it. But there's a side of it where they act like it's like utopia. Like Acts had no problems. They never had issues. There's no problem. Like people died because they lied about stealing from God. Like, no, like they had issues. If you, read the, if you read a lot of the epistles, there's a lot of issues. We got to understand, like, yes, I, I agree. Like, there's this, a, a great sense of the early church we should carry with us. But they had their issues as well. They had many issues. So don't let it surprise you. And also this, don't let it control you. Meaning, don't let these experiences steer your faith. Let your faith steer your experience. And this is so important. I think when it comes to conflict, we can react. We can react and go to people, and we want to hear what we want to hear. We don't want to hear the hard thing. We want to say, well, you affirm me and disagree with this person. Sometimes history kind of shows us that people agree with the person and not the facts always. So people are like, you're my friend, I'll agree with you. Rather than hearing the full story, Proverbs talks about how a fool only listens to one side of a story. Like it's important to listen to both sides. But don't let this control you. Meaning this is going to happen. 
how do we not let it rule us? How do we say, no, I'm going to let my faith kind of control and, ex- and, and guide this rather than it guide me? So here's what Paul is saying. Now, here's why I bring this up, and this is so important. When I say the first point is standing fast, like, what does that mean? Here's what this means. Paul is saying what's more important than the method of how to deal with conflict is the principle. Please do not miss this. If you ever find a book on conflict resolution, it's most likely going to be something like, here's seven steps to take in conflict resolution, and that's fine. Most books deal with a method. First, do this. Second, do this. And that is great, and that is helpful, and I think there's some steps that we can take from that and learn from that. But Paul doesn't do that. Paul actually like, starts with a big thought and a big idea. Paul basically says, stand fast in the Lord, and here's why this is so important. When Paul says in Philippians 4 verse 1, what's the first word? Therefore, Paul is pulling back from Philippians 3, and he's connecting it to what he's about to say. So here's why this is important. Paul says, you're citizens of heaven. Jesus is coming back. He's going to transform our body. He's going to rule over everything. Therefore, in light of this, stand fast in the Lord. Stop fighting. He's basically saying, you need to keep in mind the big picture of the gospel. The big picture of the gospel is Jesus rule and reigns, and he's coming back. Hey, why are we fighting? Hey, Jesus is coming. Why are we getting caught up in this micro-drama? And why are we missing out on the big picture of what God is doing? See, this is so important for us. And I, I word it this way. Oftentimes, Paul gives us the principle for an issue before the method on how to fix the issue. And this is so key because we just go, okay, let's fix this. And we need to keep in mind the big picture. And I say this because here's why. Again, um, only I think in, in, in Christianity, people want to know, will this work? Will, th- will this help me? Will this fix my situation? The first question we should ask is, was well, it true? Is Christianity true? So here's what I'm trying to get at. Um, no one's going to say, hey, we want to deal with conflict. Let me ask you a question. Is there a God? <laughs> um, is there meaning to life? Uh, is, there, is there life after death? What is morality? The, the point that the, I love that the Bible does is it asks bigger questions than even the smaller questions. The point the Bible's trying to show us is to say, take a step back and then take another step back. Don't just look at the conflict, but ask, ask a greater question. Why are you here? Like, there's something about the Bible to me that says, let's get to the true heart of the issue. When I'm talking to the rabbi and he's saying, how dare you, you know, when he, when he lashed out and kind of said what he said, his main concern is his father. His main concern is judgment day. When he's asking me questions about the book of Matthew in a, a certain verse, he's not, that's not his question. It's, there's a question behind that question. And the Bible's saying, let me answer the big question behind that question. And I'm so thankful for this. One author who I quote sometimes said this. Uh, he said, Paul, listen, listen how he put it. Uh, he said, Paul cannot deal with even the smallest problem, with even the most mundane situation, without putting it in the context of all of redemptive history. He cannot do it. He will not do it. He always brings the whole of eternity and all of the sweep of theology and everything to bear on anything and everything. Do you get what he's saying? He's saying, Paul's like, I can't talk about conflict resolution without talking about the gospel. I can't talk about something so small without t- talking about the biggest thing. And church, let's not lose sight of the biggest thing. Here's what Paul's saying the biggest thing is. Verse 3. What does he say in verse 3? He says, their names are written in heaven. He goes, there's a fight between two women who are leaders in the church, and they're both saved, and they're both going to heaven. And I love how Paul says, you're citizens of heaven. Your names are written in heaven. Do you not see the big picture of this conflict? So here's the idea. Eodia, Syntyche, you can avoid this person for the rest of your life, but you're probably going to see them for, you can avoid them for a few centuries in heaven. But sooner or later, you're going to run into each other. Sooner or later, you're spending time forever in heaven. Do you not see the big picture? You can deal with this. You can resolve. Now, he's he saying, be best friends again. He's saying, trust each other. He's, he's just saying, how do we resolve this? 
how do you keep in mind the big picture? Your name is in heaven. Her name is in heaven. Can I tell you something? There's a side of conflict where we got to remind ourselves, especially between two believers, which is the context, saying this person's name is written in heaven. They are a son or daughter of God. One pastor reminds me all the time, he says to me, um, before your wife is your wife, she's God's daughter. So as you fight, don't forget, she's not just your wife, she's God's daughter. And that changes things. Like, oh yeah, like, I'm talking to God's daughter here. That changes some things when you have the big picture in mind. He's saying your names are in heaven. Don't forget this. Don't forget where your citizenship is. Therefore, in light of this, and he also says, so stand fast. So stand fast. This is the principle he's introducing. That stand fast in the Lord. Keep the gospel in focus. Your names are in heaven. Keep this in mind. That's the first point. Stand fast. Hey, the Bible deals with the question behind the questions. It deals with the bigger question way before it gets to the method. And then Paul will get to the method. So let's talk about that. Number two is this. He says, have the same mind. Let's look at verse two. Verse two says, I implore Iodia and I implore Syntyche to be of the same mind in the Lord. Uh, this word implore, as you guys know, is beg. I'm begging you. And he says it individually. I beg you and I beg you, be of the same mind. Or really, he's actually saying be, agree in the Lord is the phrase. Agree in the Lord. I'm begging you guys to at least agree. You might have nothing to agree on. Agree in the Lord. You have the most important thing to agree on. You have the best thing to agree on. Agree in the Lord. This is so key for us. This is what we got to talk about today. Um, one author said it this way, because please don't misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm not saying your, your views and their views will always match up perfectly or line up perfectly, or you'll always agree with each other in every little detail. But he says you can agree in the Lord. D.A. Carson said this. He says, Paul, or he says, in other words, Paul is appealing for a mental attitude that adopts the same basic direction as other believers, the same fundamental aim, the same orientation and priorities. That is a gospel orientation. He's saying, hey, what you need to have in mind, the lens in which you need to see this conflict through is through the lens of the gospel. You need to see this as a green in the Lord, ultimately. Be the same mind in the Lord. So let's talk through this. What does that look like? So for us, I think ways we can agree in the Lord, not that I'll always line up perfectly, but a few I'll put up here, is theologically, it's relationally, philosophically, missiologically. Let's talk about this. So agree in the Lord. Here's the idea. Um, we, our, our church, um, I hope we have the essentials in common. There's one God who eternally exists in three persons, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. That Jesus is sinless. He was born of a virgin. Jesus is the Son of God. He is God. Jesus died on the cross for sins as atonement, as a substitute. He rose again from the grave, literally rose again from the grave three days later. He ascended into heaven. That Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. That he's told us to go out and make disciples. And here, here's the idea. We want to keep that in mind. We want to have that in common. We say, let's fight for this. Do we have other beliefs about ecclesiology, about end times? Absolutely. If you have a different belief, does that mean you're not welcome here? Absolutely not. We, can, we, can, we want to major on the majors, and we don't want to major on the minors. We want to say, wait, you have a different view of, of end times? Oh, I don't know. I don't know if you can, you're not welcome here. Like, not at all. We're saying welcome. Let's have an open dialogue and conversation. It's only going to make us better. It's only going to sharpen us. It's only going to challenge us and grow us in different ways. Oh, you have a different view when it comes to how this might play out or look like? Great. Welcome. Do you believe in the gospel? Do you believe there's one God who eternally exists in three persons? Do you believe in the virgin birth? Okay, great. You're my brother. You're my sister. Like, we need to agree on those things. And this is what we're going to fight for. We will have our own 
you know, maybe preferences, but we're welcome to like dialogue about those things. Now, relationally, think about this. Here, here's the thing. We, we do want to love each other. We're going to show respect. We're going to show honor. We're not going to backbite. We're not going to gossip. We want to fight for Jesus. We want to fight for health in our community. We want to have a culture of love, of grace, of humility. Amen? Relationally, we want to say, I'm going to agree on that. Are we going to hurt each other? Absolutely. Are we going to repent? I hope so. Are we going to forgive? Yeah, I hope so. Like, we're going to fight for those things. We want to deal with that relationally. Not just that, but move on. He's philosophically. So we might agree on why we're here. We might agree on what we need to do. We're here by God, for God. We're here to make Jesus known. How to do that might look different. Here's something for us. We've kind of written this in our values. We want to take risks for the kingdom. We want to be like Joshua and Caleb and say, God, give us the land. We're going to try things that no one else might be trying to reach people that no one else are reaching. We want to do things that might be a little unorthodox. Why? We want to reach lost people. We're not here just to kind of play church. There are people who are daily going to the bar, daily being addicted, daily getting wasted, daily just throwing their lives in the drain. We're saying, well, how do we reach them? We might try a certain group. We might try a certain recovery group. It might change the way our, our body looks. We might have offer ways just to support people who are in recovery. It's going to change maybe some of the style and DNA, but we are here to do that. Now, you might not agree with that philosophically, and there is some give and take, absolutely. There's not, these are not some closed-handed things. These are open-handed things. But we will do things, hopefully and prayerfully, being led by the Spirit. We'll do things that no one else is doing to reach people that no one else is reaching. And then lastly, uh, we want to look at this. We want to look at the missiological side. So meaning, um, we just want to be all about Jesus. We want to preach Jesus. We want to proclaim Jesus. We want to worship Jesus, serve Jesus, know Jesus, talk about Jesus. We're not ashamed of Jesus. Here at this church, we're not going to be ashamed of Jesus. We're not here to preach morality. We're not trying to say, hey, here's five ways to be better. We're trying to say, hey, let's be like Jesus. Let's enjoy Jesus. Let's celebrate Jesus. Let's bring our focus and attention on the person of Jesus. Amen. We are here for Jesus and by Jesus and for his glory. Like we are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus for it's the power of God of salvation. And we're going to fight for that. And Paul's saying, can we have unity? Can you at least agree in the Lord on those things? Now here's my question. What if there's still conflict though? What if there's still disagreements? What if people are still at odds? Here's a few things we're going to talk through. Ready for the method now after we have the principle? Here's some methods of ways to do this. And please write these down and please apply this and please maybe try this out. Here's the first thing. Uh, helpful approaches in conflict resolution. One, um, have a humble attitude. Let there be humility in your attitude. As you approach someone, what does Jesus say? Make sure that planks removed from my eye before I try to get your speck out of your eye. I'm going to come in lovingly. Galatians 6 says, have a spirit to restore the person and a spirit of gentleness, Right? There's humility in our approach. Number two is this. Uh, pray for the person you're in conflict with. I found this to be the most helpful. Jesus says, bless those who curse you. Pray for those who spitefully use you. Do you know how challenging that is? Someone who's maybe cursing you behind your back or using you, and you say, God, bless them. Bless their family. Bless their marriage. Let them know you, love you. Sometimes when I read that verse, pray for those who spitefully use you, our, our first prayer is, God, smite them, you smiter. Like, right? Like, that's like our first <laughs> prayer. But it's like, no, no. Bless those who curse you. That tone is blessing within the prayer. The third approach I'd say is this. Um, accept full responsibility for actions. What I mean by that is um, don't be defensive. Don't be defensive in this. Also, don't dismiss or downplay I think this is, we do this in marriage. We can do this in life. But you're like, some, your spouse comes in, you're like, you're like, well, I would have said that if you, or, you know, fill in the blank. Um, or you just kind of dismiss it. It's like, oh, yeah, you know, I'm sorry if you, if you felt that way. There's like, there's things like that. I'd say, let's not try to downplay it. Number four is this, uh, committed to the process of healing. Be committed to the process of healing. So that might mean this, make restitution. So maybe you went around gossiping. Maybe you go down to people and say, I'm going to take ownership of that. I'm sorry. Maybe you, you took something from someone and you say, you know what? It's not just forgive me. It's let me pay you back. There, there's a side of just, uh, you know, when it comes to conflict is I need to actually make restitution. Not just say, I'm sorry. What do you maybe need to do in the process? 
what you maybe need to fix, what you need to spend, what you need to, maybe there's some sort of giving in that process. Lastly, uh, does not continue in the hurtful behavior or anything associated with it. So it's not like, oh, I'm so sorry, forgive me. And then you just continue and continue and continue. There's, there needs to be a side of it where you say, no, like, I'm not going to be flawless in this, but I'm going to do my best to not continue in this. Now, Paul's walking us through this. Paul's showing us this. And, he's, and he does give us actually a clear example. And I want to read that in one second. But first, before I do anything, let me ask you guys three questions. There's three questions I want to kind of throw out to our church. Here's the first question. It applies to me. It applies to all of us. Number one, do you see yourself as a threat to the unity of your church? Here are three questions that I got from a commentator that just made me stop. And start with yourself. This applies to me. Do you see yourself as a threat to the unity of your church? He writes, after that, you should. All of us, all of us can be. <laughs> There's a side of us, we've got to see us in that light. Number two, uh, will you ask for help when you have a conflict? Will you actually say, you know what, I need help. There's conflict. Help me out. I really could use some advice on this. Number three, uh, are you prepared to give help? Maybe you're one who needs to give help and, and give assistance. I'm thankful for many of the, the men and women in our church who I can reach out to because their faithfulness, their character, and say, I need your help in this situation. He, and here's the thing. Sometimes you might read that question, are you ready to prepare to give help? You're like, yeah, I am. And it's like, well, maybe you just need to receive the help first. There, there's a side of that. But I'm, I'm going through this because Paul is saying, listen, be of the same mind in the Lord. Agree in the Lord. You have the most important thing in common. And church, this is not just a church thing. This is a marriage thing. This is a work thing. This is a family thing. How do we resolve this in the Lord? How do we say the gospel is so much more important than this conflict right here and right now? You're, you're, you and your perspective of Jesus and the gospel matters more than how I feel in this moment. That the po- point is not for me to be happy. The point is for you to know Jesus and Jesus to be made known in this moment, in this situation. And number three, what does Paul tell us? Paul basically says this, settle the issue. Settle the issue. Bring someone involved. So look at verse three. Verse three says what? We'll read it. He says, verse three, and I urge you also, now he's talking to the person he's writing to, true companion, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and, and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Settle the issue. Here is the idea. Paul now invokes a third party. He says, hey, I'm right, and he's writing to someone. We don't know. There's so much speculation. Maybe it's Epaphroditus. Maybe it's Luke. Maybe it's Timothy. We don't know. He's most likely writing to a pastor or elder of some sort. But he's right, whoever he's writing to, he's saying, hey, listen, true companion. Like, it literally means fellow yoga yoke bearer. Hey, the person who carries this load with me, I'm asking you to come alongside and be this third party mediator. And let me just say this, when it comes to conflict resolution, most likely many of us need a third party mediator. Saying I need someone to kind of step in, to speak into this, to help, to support. Might be a community group leader. It might be a family member. It's most likely, and it should be a mature man or woman in the faith saying, let's walk this out together. But he's calling on someone to be a third party mediator in this, which is so important. And can I tell you, is this not the gospel? Here's what I mean by that. 1 Timothy 2.5 says, there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. Here's the thing. You could say, the Bible would say this, you and I at one point in time were at odds with God. The Bible actually says, we declared ourselves enemies against God. People who do not believe in Jesus receive Jesus. Whether or not they ever say these words, the Bible literally says, in their heart, they've made themselves an enemy of God. So guess what happens? A mediator came down. A third party came down and says, listen, there's animosity in your heart towards God. There's sin hurting this relationship between you and God, but I will be the mediator. Jesus is that mediator to say between God and man, hey, listen, I can be the bridge for there to be reconciliation. 
Jesus is that mediator between God and man, so you and I can be right and reconciled to God. And Paul is saying we might need a mediator in this moment. And then he says a couple little key verses, and I, I want to put it in context. We did a, a Bible study last week completely on rejoice the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Isn't it interesting amongst the context? The context is there's fighting, there's disputes, there's disagreements. Hey, stop and rejoice in the Lord. Hey, maybe you need to worship together. Maybe you in conflict need to worship together. Maybe you need to stop focusing on the issue, and maybe you just need to rejoice in the Lord. There's a side of this where, God, where I think God just saying, can you put back in perspective the joy of the Lord? Can you put back in perspective the presence of God? And then he says something really interesting in verse 5. What does he say? Let your reasonableness, or he says gentleness, or reasonableness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Really quick, a few translations of this verse, because this is one of the hardest verses to translate. Verse 5 really is. Uh, here's a few ways it's translated. It's saying, let your graciousness be known. Let your reasonableness be known. Let your gentleness be known. It's probably the best translation of this word is, is not gentleness, but reasonableness. He's saying, be reasonable. In conflict, are people reasonable? Not all the time. It's very difficult. He's saying, hey, Christians, but you be reasonable in this. Be reasonable in the midst of the conflict. There might not be reason. There might be emotion. But I'm asking you, let your reasonableness be known to all. Let people say, how did you handle that emotional situation with such reason? with such steadiness, gentleness, fruit of the spirit. How did you handle that? And you're saying, that is obviously of God. That is not of me. I could not have been that gentle or gracious or tactful or loving or patient in that. That, that was definitely the Lord. Do you, do you not see what he's talking about with this context of disputes saying, be reasonable. Let it be known. Hey, what are you known for? What am I known for? What are we known for in the midst of disputes? What is the church known for when it comes to disputes? Are we known for being reasonable? Is that how we're portrayed? <laughs> like, oh, the church got an argument and they were pretty reasonable with each other. Like, how does, how does that look? You know, what does that look like? Big picture, small picture. Paul's saying the gospel reflects in a reasonable, gentle, gracious spirit in it. It might now, and this might not, again, it's not exhaustive. This doesn't deal with maybe wolves in the church. It doesn't deal with maybe uh, just abuse to the point where the relationship has to be completely cut off. This doesn't, agree, it doesn't deal with everything, but it does deal with, I'd say, like 90% of the things we might walk through. Rivalry, jealousies, bitterness, frustration. He's saying, hey, be reasonable. And here's what he says. Do you see this little phrase? The Lord is at hand. Now, this is where like, we all speculate, okay, what does that mean? <laughs> is he saying Jesus is coming back? Maybe. Is he saying Jesus is near? Maybe. Honestly, both. When he's saying the Lord is at hand, it's like, hey, keep in mind, Jesus can come at any time. Even so, Lord, come quickly. John cried out. There's a side of this where it's like, be reasonable. Jesus can come back. Why be caught in an argument? Why be caught over something ridiculous? Be reasonable. The Lord's at hand. Or just saying, hey, be reasonable. Jesus is in your midst. When you say that comment, the Lord is there. Be reminded of that. In this context of disputes and arguments, he's like, the Lord is at hand. And, and I'm, we're stopping there because we're going to talk next week about, um, you know, be praying contentment, anxiety, peace of God, and, and this does flow together, but to me, it's such like another unique thought that it just has to be for next week, but, but here's why I in this church. I would love for us to be a group of people that can say, we are going to blow it. We're going to hurt each other. We're going to mess up, but let us confess quickly. Let's take full ownership. Let us repent. Let's truly repent. Godly sorrow versus worldly sorrow. Let's have true godly sorrow. Let there be a sense of healing and restoration. That might mean restitution. That might mean you walk through a process. That might mean you pay back certain things. There can look like many different things. Here's what Kent Hughes said, and I just want to end with this thought. Kent Hughes, this pastor, said this. He says, the apostle, listen, the apostle didn't lay out a precise remedy for Iodia and Syntyche, but handed it over to the church family in Philippi. He gave them tender guidelines and was diplomatic and encouraging. There might not be a precise way of here's how to do it, but it's, hey, we're trusting the leadership in this. I'm trusting you and Clement and the others to help me in this. 
to, to bring unity back. Listen, church, I, I would love for the world to look at the church and say, they're not perfect, they're broken, but they sure do love each other. And they sure do live out forgiveness. They sure do live out um, conflict resolution. You know, one of the main things we're accused of is what? That the church doesn't practice what we preach. It's the main thing people like to go to. That's their go-to argument. Ah, you don't live out. It's like, hey, listen, you know what? We don't always. And, and honestly, that's why we repent, and that's why we own it. That's why we forgive. That's why we're quick to own, to own our mistakes. Let us walk this out individually, in our marriage, in our families, in our church, in our day-to-day life. Amen? This is so important. Hey, guys, if you believe in Jesus, if you love Jesus, your name's written in heaven. And I would say the person we're in conflict with who also believes in Jesus, his name is written in heaven. That changes how we talk about them. That changes how we pray for them. That changes everything. Would you agree? Can we walk it out? Here's what I want to do. I do want to just now worship. I do want to end with some song, with some praise. And here's my hope right now. Please listen. My hope is that as we close out in prayer and sing one last song and praise the Lord one last time, my, my hope is that you can be searching your heart and saying, God, help me really maybe seek forgiveness with someone I've hurt. Help me really take full ownership and whatever that might look like. Help me maybe just forgive, Lord. This debt hurts, this pain hurts, and it might be a process, and it might not be overnight. But there's a side of this where the Bible says, hey, like, leave your gift at the altar, go make a reconciliation. Maybe there's a side of that. So mess that you, we just pray through that, pray over that. might be your spouse, might be the person you love the most. Whatever this might look like, if possible, live at peace with all men. The Bible tells us. Let's agree in the Lord. Amen? I'm going to pray. We're going to close our time with some worship. Father, we just, um, we need you. <laughs> I, I think what you asked of the leaders in Philippi and what you asked of Iodia and Syntyche a couple thousand years ago is something that's supernatural. We, we cannot do this without you. We don't want to do this without you. So God, I just do pray, God, for the church in general, that we'd not be quick to run, quick to leave, quick to amplify, <laughs> but Jesus, that would be quick to embrace, to just keep in mind the gospel God, that we know that this is a testimony to the world. Let our reasonableness be known to all men. Lord, we know that when we do this well, the world can look on and say, wow, there's something different about how the church forgives and loves. And Lord, let that be true of us. Let that be true of our marriages, Jesus. I just pray over the marriages in this room. That God, you'd bring healing when there's been hurt and pain. God, I just ask that you'd restore trust and love in the midst of them. God, between just two women leaders in the church, Lord, I, I, they're sitting together, probably hearing this at the exact same time. <laughs> Lord, I, I just pray there'd be a sense of us wanting to ultimately um, keep the gospel in the forefront of our mind. And we just pray these things, Jesus. We ask that you would do this, that you'd bring healing to this in your wonderful name. Amen. Let's stand and uh, close out our time with some worship.